One of the most popular comic books of the past decade was a Superman issue, which was entitled, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way? And one of the reasons that issue was so popular is because the comic book explored the idea about whether or not Superman was going about his task in the right way. Namely, there was a group of other superheroes known as the Elites who decided that Superman was too mild in the way he did things, that really good would happen if they took the law into their own hands and executed vengeance upon their enemies. And so this group of superheroes, the Elites, they took it upon themselves to actually kill their arch enemies, Whereas Superman refused to do that, he would fight for good, uh, but would refuse to engage in actually harming his enemies. This comic issue was turned into a full-length, well, hour-long cartoon movie. Let me show you a clip from that movie that sort of sets this up. It comes as Superman has just defeated one of his enemies, the Atomic Skull, and he's being interviewed uh, by a professor about his tactics. It's a good question. I don't know about you. What do you think about superheroes? Would you prefer that they actually simply executed their arch enemies? Would it be better if Batman stooped to Joker's level? Should Professor X simply kill Magneto and be done with him? Now, of course... This is not really a question we want to spend talking about this morning as it relates to fictional superheroes, but really a question as it relates to you and I as we think about ourselves as the sort of superheroes of our lives. To what extent are we to take our lives into our own hands and fix the problems that we are experiencing? To what extent should we punish those who do evil to us? For example... Suppose over the holiday season you watched your in-laws treat your spouse in a way that he or she ought not to be treated. How do we respond? Suppose your little sister has told on you to your parents and you've gotten into trouble. What's the best way to respond in that situation? Maybe one of your teammates on your basketball team has been bad-mouthing you to the coach and has taken away your starting job because of what he's been doing. Now he's been playing poorly. How should you respond to him? Maybe your grandchild didn't get into the gifted and talented program at school. And now that program and that administrator are potentially up to being cut. And you have the opportunity, along with your friends, to vote against that program, what do you do? This morning we want to talk about the issue of taking our lives into our own hands. And I'd love for you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 23, because we have a section of Scripture that I think is specifically designed to answer these kinds of questions. To what extent... Are we to take control of our own lives? And what should be our response when people treat us in a way that we shouldn't be treated? We're actually going to cover 1 Samuel 23 through 25. It's a big chunk of Scripture. It begins on page 208 in the Bibles the church provides. Again, as I keep saying, 
these large sections of Samuel, the story is so powerful and so great. We can't read every verse this morning when we're together, so I encourage you on your own, read along with us. Read through these, uh, read through these chapters on your own. But I do want to walk us through these three stories, 1 Samuel 23, 24, and 25, as we think together about the issue of taking our lives into our own hands. Now, the reason why I use the terminology in our own hands is we're going to see that the word hand is the key word in these three chapters in 1 Samuel 23 to 25. In fact, the word hand shows up in these three chapters 21% of the time it's used in the entire book. So 21% of the time that the author of Samuel uses the word hand, it's in these three chapters. And this theme ties these three chapters together. I'd like to show you many of the usages as we walk through this. And if you'd like, if you have your own Bible, uh, underline where the word hand shows up. Make a notation. I don't know what you do on an iPhone, but however you want to sort of identify this, let's walk through these stories. Now, we begin in 1 Samuel 23. David's on the run from Saul. He's gathered with him a band of men who, I think there's about 600 of them, who are going with David as his leader. And while David is on the run, he hears news of an Israelite town named Keilah that the Philistines have attacked. And David is wondering, well, maybe I should go and rescue them. Saul's not doing anything about it. These are my brothers. Should I go and rescue them? And so he inquires of the Lord, should I go down to Keilah? And try to rescue them. And we pick up the story in verse 4. Once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines, and here's the first instance of the phrase, into your hand. God says, I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David goes. He rescues the citizens of Keilah. Saul hears that David has gone to this town in verse number 7. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, God has handed him over to me for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Well, David hears news that Saul is coming after him. And so he inquires of the Lord, are the citizens going to turn me over to Saul? Verse number 11. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me, and it literally says, to his hand. Will the citizens of Keilah, David is asking the Lord, surrender me to his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Well, with this information, David runs and flees. And it says in verse 14, He stayed in the desert strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David is in the desert of Ziph, Saul's son Jonathan, David's best friend, comes to visit him. And verse 16, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him find strength, or literally, strengthened his hands in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a 
hand on you. Jonathan leaves and David is still in the desert of Ziph. Well, there are other Israelites who live in that desert. And they see David and think, hey, if we turn him into Saul, we're going to get, uh, we're going to win the favor of the king. So verse 20, they contact Saul and they say, now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so. And we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. It's chapter 23, lots of uses of the word hand. The Philistines are put into David's hand. Saul thinks God has put David into his hands. The citizens of Ziph think that they are handing David over to Saul. Jonathan comes to strengthen David's hands. Well, this theme continues into chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. It turns out that when the people of Ziph turn David over to Saul, Saul comes to pursue him and right as he's about to catch him, it just so happens that the Philistines attack at that moment and Saul has to leave his pursuit of David and go and take care of the Philistine issue. So David goes into the stronghold of En Gedi and there he's hiding out. Well, after Saul has taken care of the Philistines, he comes after David again. And of course, it is no accident as only God can work it out. David's hiding in a cave in the oasis of En Gedi. And it just so happens that Saul, leaving his army behind at camp, wanders into that exact same cave to relieve himself. Now you can imagine, here's David and his men all the way in the back of this large cave where it is dark. And lo and behold, who comes wandering in to their one cave out of the hundreds that are available? But their enemy, Saul, who has no army with him, and because he's there to relieve himself, has put down all his weapons as an absolutely and totally defenseless. Well, David's men are in the back of the cave watching this all happen. And so in verse number 4 of chapter 24, it literally says, the men said, Today the Lord is saying to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now the men want to know, no, that's not what we meant. We think God's delivered him in so you can kill him. David responds in verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. Now Saul doesn't know that David has done this. And Saul, Saul, when he's done, he leaves the cave and he's walking back towards his army. And as he's doing so, David comes out of the cave and calls across the space to Saul. And he begins to speak to him. And at this point, the references to the word hand begin to cascade one on top of each other. Beginning in verse 10, David says to Saul, This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. 
but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Jump down to verse 15. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Saul hears all that David has to say and he replies in verse number 18. Saul says to David, you have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Again, the narrator of Samuel wants to pick up the idea that this has something to do with hands. It's a word he keeps using over and over again. But he's not done. One more chapter to go. 1 Samuel 25. David's speech to Saul does have some effect on him. Saul realizes that David has treated him in a godly way and for a time. Saul decides to leave David alone. So David, during this time of peace, he ends up camping near a man named Nabal. Nabal is a wealthy man. And David functionally, uh, effectively functions as a standing army for Nabal. His men are out by Nabal's men and they are protecting Nabal's sheep and property. Uh, so no robbers and nobody comes and bothers them. And David's men are camped out there. Everybody leaves Nabal alone while David is there. Well, this goes on for some time and Nabal is prospering. And we come to a point in which there is a festive season. And David has all of these men on his hands. And so he sends word to Nabal to say, hey, look, I've been out here helping you out here. Now, they had no contract. That's true. David had simply been doing it out of the kindness of his heart. And so David says to Nabal, I've been kind to you. If you have any spare food at this festive season that you could give to me and to my men, we would really appreciate it. Well, not only does Nabal turn David down, he insults him. And when the message gets back to David, what it is that Nabal has said, David is absolutely furious. And as opposed to chapter 24, where he takes the high road, in chapter 25, David straps on his sword and he says, far be it from me if I do not kill every male in Nabal's house. And he sets off in huge anger to go and execute Nabal. Well, Nabal has a wife, Abigail, who's as beautiful and wise as Nabal is surly and foolish. And Abigail hears that David is coming and she runs out to meet him bringing with him, uh, bringing with her some gifts and presents that David ought to have been given in the first place. And she convinces David not to take matters into his own hands. And we pick up the story in verse 32 of chapter 25. As Abigail tries to talk sense into David, David realizes that he was violating the very thing he had just done in chapter 24. And so he says in verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. 
Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. This is a lot of usages of the word hand. It's the theme and thread that tie these three chapters together. But the word hand is used in lots of different ways. And so what are we to make of this? What is God trying to tell us in these three chapters today? Well, three principles I think he'd like for us to get from all of these different uses of the word hand in these chapters. Principle number one. Don't take matters into your own hand. Don't take matters into your own hand. The word manipulate comes from the two Latin words meaning hand and full. When you manipulate a situation, you get your hands full of the situation. And the point of chapters 23 to 25 is that we are not supposed to manipulate the situations in our favor. Saul wants to manipulate his situation by killing David. He thinks he can somehow overcome the rejection of God if he kills David. And he's trying to take matters into his own hands. The citizens of Keilah and of the desert of Ziph think that if they can turn David over to Saul, they can manipulate Saul into giving them favor. David thinks that if he can kill Nabal, that he can take matters into his own hands and he can overcome the shame and the embarrassment that he's experienced at the hands of Nabal. And in each of these cases, every person is tempted to take matters into their own hands and to deal with the situation the way they think is best. But in none of those cases, does it work out for good or would it work out for good? And so God's point from 1 Samuel 23 through 25 to you and I, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try to manipulate the situations that we're in so they turn out favorably for us. Second principle, it's the corollary. Leave every situation in God's hands. Don't take matters into our own hands. Instead, leave every situation in God's hands. I mean, look at David in chapter 24. If he'd simply killed Saul, who is his enemy, who's standing there defenseless in front of him, who would have blamed David? Saul's been trying to kill him for months and even years now. He's hurled spears at him. He's chased him down. He's done everything he can to try to kill David. Isn't this just self-defense? If David had taken matters into his own hands and killed Saul right there, nobody would have blamed him. But the problem is, is that he would have been taking matters into his own hands and to become king that way, that's not how God intended. Instead, David says, he says it explicitly in chapter 26, look, if God wants to kill Saul, he can do it. He doesn't need me to participate in order for that to happen. And so David is saying, look, I'm leaving the situation with Saul in God's hands. He will deal with it as he sees fit in his time. It's not my job to make it happen. It's the Lord's job. 
And you know what? It works out much better for David that way. Rather than seizing the kingship the way that his forefather Jacob had seized the blessing from his brother Esau, David instead chooses the right way and says, look, I'm going to leave this in God's hands. And what God does is he not only makes David king, he establishes his kingship forever. When we leave situations in God's hands, he always takes better care of them than we would have if we were in control. The same thing in the situation with Abigail and her husband Nabal. Now look, Nabal is a fool. That's what his name means. And you can tell reading through the, between the lines in 1 Samuel 25, Abigail's got a miserable marriage. Because she is beautiful and wise and good and kind and she's married to a fool of a man. Now when David comes riding in on his, uh, with his army, surely as a wife the wheels can be turning and think, you know what? I could actually use this to my advantage. All she has to say to David, please forgive me and my children and leave us alone. Do whatever you want to my husband. And David would have gone marching in and she would have been free of this miserable marriage. But Abigail doesn't do that. She doesn't manipulate the situation in her favor. She simply leaves it in God's hands. And interestingly enough, it says that God struck Nabal dead ten days later. And Abigail, this beautiful and wise woman, ends up getting married to, guess who? King David. Works out a lot better when you leave the situation in God's hands. Abigail could have taken matters into her own hands. She could have become a single mom. And instead of taking matters into her own hands, she's left them in God's hands. And God has taken care of the situation far beyond anything she could have ever dreamed of. The same is true for David as well. David is going to kill Nabal, and if he would have done that, he would have avenged his conscience. But he would have had the needless slaughter of blood on his hands. Instead, Abigail comes to remind him of the point that he knew in chapter 24, but is forgotten in chapter 25. She says, leave it in God's hands. The Lord will take care of it. He's made you the king. You don't want Nabal's blood on your hands. And when David is willing to listen, he not only saves himself from the needless slaughter of Nabal, he ends up with Abigail as his wife, a much greater present than he had ever been assuming he would have. This is the point. Leave the situation in God's hands. God will always do better with it than we do ourselves. So does that mean we're not supposed to do anything? Does that mean we're just supposed to sit around and take no action? That when people mistreat us or when we're faced with a situation that's not favorable towards us, are we just supposed to sit around and say, well, God will do it. It's not in my hands. It's, not in, it's in his hands. No, I don't think so because I think there's a third principle that we want to get from the usage of the word hand in these three chapters. After all, we are told that God delivered the Philistines into David's hands. We are told that Jonathan strengthens David's hands. We are told that Saul was delivered into David's hands, not for him to kill him, 
And we are told that Abigail gives provisions by her hand to David. So in these stories, people's hands are involved. People are doing things. But notice what all of those things have in common. They're all gifts of grace and not of condemnation. That God delivered the Philistines into David's hands so that he could save the citizens of Keilah. That God gave Saul into David's hands, not so David could kill him, but so that David could warn Saul, look, Saul, you don't want to go down this path. That's what David does. And Saul does listen, at least for a time. Jonathan strengthens David's hands and by the grace of God, he encourages David, keep going, don't worry about my father, the Lord is with you. And Abigail uses her hands to save David and her family from this unnecessary revenge. After all, it does say in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. What that verse is saying is, God the Father did not entrust the world to Jesus' hands that Jesus might seek revenge. Instead, he gave the world into Jesus' hands so that he might show grace. And that's the third principle from these chapters. Don't take matters into your own hands. Leave everything in God's hands. But as God gives us opportunity, hand out grace. Hand out grace to all we come in contact with. Now, what does this look like in practical application? Suppose that your spouse is engaged in selfish behavior and activity and ignoring you. The point of God's message to us today is we're not to take matters into our own hands. We're not to ignore her or try to turn the kids on him or withhold financial blessings from the other person until the situation changes. Leave our spouses in God's hands. It's God's job to take care of them. Does that mean we're supposed to do nothing? No, God gives us the grace to gently warn them, look, this is not a good path. Don't go down this path. God gives us the grace to model for our spouse what unselfish devotion to God and others looks like. But the point is, don't take the matters into our own hands. We're not the judge and jury of our spouse. It's God's job. And the point of 1 Samuel 23 to 25 is we're not supposed to execute judgment. We're not supposed to inflict punishment. We're not supposed to teach them a lesson. We're supposed to place our spouse clearly in God's hands. And whatever opportunities God gives us to be gracious, to encourage people, even to correct and rebuke in love, we hand out grace. Imagine that your grandkids are being raised poorly by their parents. And you as grandparents are watching on and you're thinking, this is unacceptable, we've got to do something. What is 1 Samuel 23 to 25 saying to you this morning? It's saying, don't take matters into your own hands. It's saying that it's not your job to subvert what their parents are doing. It's not your job to work against what their parents are doing in raising your grandkids. 
It's not your job to take matters into your own hands and say, I'm, we're going we're gonna to avoid them. We're not going to have anything to do with our grandkids until this situation changes. It's not your job to forcefully insert yourself in the process. Leave the situation in God's hands. Let God take care of it. What God is doing is far better than anything you or I could ever think to do. Now, if your grandchildren are being hurt and God gives you an opportunity to step in and rescue them and to help them, by all means, the third principle says, take that opportunity. But for the purpose of saving the kids, not punishing the parents. And as God gives you the opportunity to dispense grace to your children or to your grandchildren, as he gives you opportunities to offer advice, to pray for them, to give encouragement, to support them, to strengthen them, even to offer godly correction, take those opportunities. But ultimately leave the situation in God's hands. What if your career is not advancing the way that you think it should? Or you think you're not being treated fairly at work? Or what about opportunities at school that you feel are wrongly being kept from you or being kept from your child? What should we do in those situations? Same principle. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't manipulate the situation. Don't work to try to get your child a favorable position, to get a favorable position in your career and your workplace, to manipulate the situation. Leave it in God's hands. What God has planned for you and I is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And as God gives us opportunities to hand out grace to others, let's take those opportunities. This morning... I want to give you and I an opportunity. For many of us, the temptation to take matters in our own hands is so real. I mean, look at David. In chapter 24, he is a shining star. And in chapter 25, he almost makes a huge mistake. Those of us who know in our souls, yes, it belongs in God's hands, can find ourselves in situations where we are tempted to take control ourselves to manipulate the situation so what we're going to do we've saved uh, some time here at the end of the service we're going to sing uh, a couple of songs three songs i think it is we've left the platform open what i'm going to invite you to do is while we're singing in response to this teaching if god has laid on your heart a situation in which you're trying to take control you're trying to have control what i'd like you to do this morning is just come down while anytime during when we're singing and feel free to kneel right here. And what you do when you come down here and kneel is confess to the Lord that although you may have been a 1 Samuel 24 version of David, that today you've become a 1 Samuel 25 version and you, you want help. And the opportunity is, is to leave that right here with the Lord. Whatever that situation is that you've taken the burden on into your own hands, to come down here and lay it before the Lord. I think this is a great way to start a new year. It may be that 2012 had been the year that we tried to solve our problems. 2012 may have been the year that we had taken matters into our own hands. And this morning I want to give you an opportunity to begin 2013 by laying that burden at Christ's feet. Let him take care of it. Now, you're saying, well, can I do that from my seat? Of course you can. Please do. There's nothing magical about coming down here. But there is something symbolic about bringing that burden with you 
and leaving it here at Christ's feet and going back to your seat and your life without it. And so as you see fit, if the Lord leads you, we wanted to give this opportunity for you to come, confess to the Lord that you've taken matters into your own hands, leave it with Him, and ask Him to give you wisdom and grace to dispense into the situation as He sees fit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this reminder and this warning. Lord, all of us, like King David, find ourselves in situations where we let our wisdom get the best of us and we go storming into the situation because we want to fix it. Lord, we are fixers. We like to be in control. We like to manipulate. God, I pray that you would be warning us today just as you warned David through Abigail. I pray that your word would not be simply stories from years ago but might be the reality of your spirit speaking to our hearts and that each of us might hear and respond. God, if there are those here this morning who because of mistreatment at the hands of a friend or family member, those who are trying to advance career for their children or their own academic success or whatever it may be have taken matters into their own hands. God, I pray that you would motivate them to let those go. God, and that you would work in them and through them to give them the peace of turning it over into your hands. God, we thank you. You take care of things so much better than we ever could. Lord, remind us again that you are for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.